Welcome to Prompted by Nature, a weekly podcast that explores the connection between nature and creativity through storytelling. Each week, we'll dive into heartfelt conversations with the humans working in and with nature to support our planet and the creatures, including us, that inhabit it. Each conversation is punctuated by a meditation and writing prompt created by me, Helen, a meditation teacher, writer and outdoor creativity guide to help you to explore the issues and topics covered in a more meaningful and creative way. Because when we allow ourselves time and space to deeply listen and connect, we bring ourselves closer to a place in which we can truly live prompted by nature. Welcome to series two, episode six of Prompted by Nature. I hope this one finds you well. In this episode, I'm speaking with the lovely Becca Beebe, a nature-inspired ceramics and jewellery designer. I first came across Becca's work on a wild food-related Facebook group and immediately asked her to be a guest, as her work is incredible and entirely unique. Becca's work has a highly aesthetic component, which is juxtaposed, one of my favourite words, with the thoughts behind it her work tending to sit precariously on that faint wobbly line between art and craft. Her jewellery and ceramics are wearable sculptures or useful sculptures and an attempt to share her awe of nature with others. Becca's obsession with a certain repeating morphogenic pattern or occurrence termed three-way junctions by the natural scientist and mathematician Darcy Thompson in 1912 that she began noticing years ago has inspired the majority of what Becca does. She believes that this is an unappreciated phenomenon which, as well as being the strongest and most economical way of using any material, is also the most beautiful. Becca's hope is that her work could be thought of as hewn from the earth, to have grown at the bottom of the sea, emerged from a cocoon or constructed by a society of huge insects. Usually made in metal, steel, copper, brass, bronze and silver, she also works in porcelain and stoneware clays, wax, lime, limecrete and biomaterials. Becca utilises plants and insects in her work, making sculptural pieces to deform plants' natural growth patterns or placing objects in her honeybee hives, encouraging them to build wild honeycomb to use and experimenting with mycelium and mycotexture the use of mycelium in building structures and objects. Experimentation is a huge part of her practice, with each piece of work inspiring and informing the next. In this conversation, we discuss her work and inspiration, her love of bees and wild beekeeping, wild honeycomb as inspiration for her work, how she keeps her work sustainable and earth conscious, incorporating her love of folklore and blacksmithing in her work, the distinction between art and craft and the fuzziness in between, art as play, her own connection to nature, what she'd like to pass on to you and her hopes for the future. I can't recommend going to Becca's website and looking at her beautiful work enough. I personally have my eye on one of her wild honeycomb bracelets. They are just stunning, as is all of her work. You can find Becca on her website, www.beccabeebe.com. And Becca Beebe is B-E-C-A-B-E-E-B-Y. 
or on Instagram at Becca Beebe. As always, I'm over on my website, www.promptedbynature.co.uk, where you can find some of my personal writing, my blog and upcoming events if you are local to me or on Instagram at prompted.by.nature. Remember to leave five stars and a review if you can for the podcast and stick around until the end of the episode when I'll give you a little insight into the meditation and writing prompt that follows this. Happy listening and I'll speak to you after. Um, My name's Becca Beebe and I'm a maker. Um, I like to call myself a maker rather than an artist because... Um, I don't know. I struggle with the word artist um, and always have done. Um, And I just love to make. So some of my work is conceptual, um, but a lot of it I just make because I find something beautiful or I just am experimenting and playing and I get an idea. um, Or I just want to share um, my awe of of what I see in the world around us. I, I work in metals and ceramics um, and particularly um, the past kind of five years I've been doing a lot of jewellery work which I sometimes call wearable sculpture because um, some of the pieces I make I envisage I'd love to build kind of huge structures that people could clamber around on and kids could climb on or people could sit in um, but I don't have <laughs> sort of opportunity so small versions um kind of satisfy that that want to build and make these things um my work's inspired by um i am quite obsessed with the plant world um and i study plants um i forage and garden and grow plants and i draw them and photograph them macro and microscopic photographs um, and things I see there go on to inspire my work um, so yeah simple things like the amazing tendrils you get on pumpkin plants or um, a cross-section of, of plants and um, the cell structures you can see under a microscope or just kind of macro photos of leaves and the veins and leaves um, which I find incredible because you can see kind of mirrored in the plant world if you look at your own veins or um, river tributaries um, from kind of high up photography of the earth you can see those patterns or those forms repeating um, and I just find it incredible and I, like, I'm not religious at all but I can see why years ago when humans didn't have the scientific understanding why they thought there was a god because it is incredible how nature mirrors and repeats those patterns in seemingly unconnected things um and years ago on my degree i discovered a book um by a man called darcy thompson called on growth and form and it talks about he's kind of worked out why these patterns so kind of say why soap bubbles and plant cells and um i don't know certain rock formations and the way tomatoes or mold grow in clusters together why the kind of patterns are repeated in different areas of of natural science um 
and he called them morphogenetic forms. So that kind of forms a basis of my inspiration. Um, I'm particularly enamoured um, at the moment with honeycomb, I keep bees. Um, so I actually trained to keep bees about 11, 12 years ago now, um, purely so I could have access to their honeycomb and um, basically play with it and get up close and photograph it um, because I just found it incredible and um, wanted to know more. And then during the beekeeping course, I was quite horrified <laughs> um, how much a kind of intensive industry it can be. Not all, obviously, mm. not all, but a lot of beekeeping can be. Obviously, we see the huge, um, well, I've seen videos of kind of huge American um, beekeeping kind of factories almost. Um, and there's nothing really that scale in the UK, but there are large scale beekeeping um, companies where it's less ideal. It's similar to kind of comparing battery farming to mm. free range woodland thickens um it's a lot more work to do it ethically um mm. and you get a lot more um a lot less sorry produce <laughs> for your work um but you you're giving those um creatures a good life um mm. i don't actually take any honey from my bees um after learning about um the kind of traditional or the kind of mainstream way of beekeeping this was a, lo a long time ago and things have changed now but after that i stopped eating honey <laughs> for quite a few years um just because i i just couldn't bear to think of um yeah methods such as taking all the bees honey and then feeding them sugar syrup um some beekeepers would cull the drones so that because drones are males they don't do any work in the hive they just exist you mate um mm and eat <laughs> food so they're kind of not very useful creatures but um obviously they keep the gene pool mixed mm. and strong um and so if beekeepers are going to be culling them then that's going to reduce your gene pool and you, i think you'll get weaker um queens which people some beekeepers do see and all these things that seemed obvious to me kind of connecting why there's colony collapse disorder so lots of issues with bees people didn't seem to be connecting the fact that they're taking the bees natural food and feeding them sugar syrup with the health or the um the lowering health of their bees mm -hmm. um so i then went on to kind of learn about sustainable beekeeping and ethical beekeeping so um I don't take any honey for my bees and uh, I just use the wild comb so I let my bees build wild comb so instead of putting frames in the hive to encourage the bees to build kind of straight flat frames that makes it easy for the beekeeper to remove frames I am um, I allow them to <laughs> do what they want which means I get a lot more organic shaped forms and kind of differing size cells so 
traditional beekeeping now puts something called foundation in the hives, which um, dictates the size of the cells that the bees build. Um, and because I don't use that, I get kind of varying sizes of cells and they, they have curves kind of in every dimension. So there's, there's a lot more asymmetricalness about them. Um, I've had some people say, oh, isn't honeycomb much more symmetrical than your work? And certain areas of honeycomb are, but the edge comb, which is kind of the bits on the edge the bees build, just to join to um, their hive, um, that tends to be much more um, asymmetrical and um, organically formed. And those are the bits, I just trim them off um, they're rarely used for storage and never used for brood. So, um, and often bees will build, sometimes bees have kind of too much wax. So they just build some wax <laughs> in a corner somewhere. So often, um, yeah, it's not really taking away anything from, from the bees. Um, and yes, I use that beeswax to, um, to start my, my honeycomb wild honeycomb collection which um i use the lost wax method of making which um it's a really ancient technique of uh casting metals and it means you can make um quite um complicated shapes you can make exactly what you want in metal out of wax where Obviously, wax is much easier to work with your hands than than a piece of metal. And then you can um, you encase that wax in a special type of plaster. Um, you can then put it in a kiln upside down. There's a hollow form within the plaster. Turn it back the right way up and pour molten metal in. So that's same method used for bronze casting and has been for thousands of years. Um, a lot of jewelry making um, and other less so for things like cast iron. Um, but yeah, the kind of bronze and more precious metals, it's used a lot. So um, I love metals, even though I hate the, the pollution and the kind of in, um, environmental damage caused by the metal industry mm -hmm. as a material i love it I, I kind of found i had an affinity with it when when i i went to art college when i was about 16 so i um, discovered metals there and just yeah just seemed to <laughs> have an affinity and know how to kind of work and use it and i would imagine that there's a difference between industry an industrial metal you know industry sized metal producers oh, and, yeah. and what you're doing which is much much smaller and yeah. <laughs> much much more kind of considerate like you say of the environment and our ecosystems and and that sort of thing yeah well it's it, it my my work is very small scale it's just me um in my workshop at home and i use recycled metals wherever possible so i drive my husband mad because i always got a boot full of bits of metal amazing <laughs> found and uh, kind of old copper water tanks taking up space um and when i cast in silver all of that's always kind of eco um, there's actually a company that makes recycled silver wow quite a big scale um called eco silver so 
I always use that. Um, and even things like pickling, which is a way of cleaning mm -hmm. um, the metals. I use vinegar, um, which is what they used in the olden days. That's why it's called pickle. <laughs> um, and I use kind of citric acid or oxalic acid sometimes for other uses. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Oh, if when I oxidize metals, um, traditionally you use a chemical called liver of sulfur, which is a very smelly chemical. Um, and if you smell it, it does smell like rotten eggs. Um, but you can, I use um, just eggs, boiled eggs. <laughs> Sounds very strange in a kind of a Tupperware and I just seal the silver in that for kind of 24 hours and that um, oxidizes the metal very fast wow. black so yeah using non-toxic methods is very important in my work um, mm. so all of that stuff kind of I can kind of um, dilute and I don't tip it on my flower beds literally but I would <laughs> I diluted it enough I, I would be happy to. <laughs> yeah. um, and has you you mentioned the kind of traditional aspect of it quite a lot has that always been something that's guided your work or is it something that you came to um, kind of later on has that always been there? Um, <laughs> I've got a, a weird upset no, not obsession I love collect I, I've got pretty much everything I um might need in the advent advent of an apocalypse <laughs> um i could carry on making and um so i love the idea but not the reality of kind mm. of hand-powered tools and living off-grid and i want to be able to continue to do things so i've got hand-powered grinders and Amazing. drills and all sorts of things um which Obviously, I tend to use the the electric um, tools more often because it's much quicker and easier. But um, I, yes, I like old kind of traditions and stories of of how techniques have developed and old tools. I just find kind of I love finding old tools in junk shops and imagining kind of who, what other craftsmen have used them and what they've been used to make and the knowledge that many of the tools that um, jewellers, blacksmiths, craftsmen use these days haven't changed for centuries and mm. I just think it's wonderful that um, that we still use those things. Um, so kind of yeah historical use and folklore all kind of tied up in my work. Um, I mentioned uh, growing plants and forests. Mm, yeah. um, so that side of my work constantly inspires me, but I also love the folklore and the um, history behind those things and hearing about plants use in kind of folk tales and fairy tales and all those. I find it all interconnected, just even the, you know, the old um, Arthur Rackham and, um, all the old illustrations and fairy tale books. Mm, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think they those inspired me as a child. I think to sounds strange, but to become a blacksmith because um, <laughs> I when I um you know at school you get the uh, careers. Oh yeah. And, um, and I really wanted to 
at 16 I wanted to go and do a blacksmithing course um wow. and they said oh no you can't do that it'll be full of peace um like it'll just be you and a load of boys you can't do that so so I did um a kind of two-year foundation called a GMVQ in mm -hmm. art and design which I'm really glad I did because it meant I learned lots of techniques in lots of areas so printmaking um what they called small metals which was jewelry um ceramics some blacksmithing um textiles so a bit of everything which and a lot of those skills I learned a really long time ago now quite a scarily long time um I still use now so I'm really glad I did that but I did eventually when I was 24 go back and do a blacksmithing course because I wanted to um yeah learn more particular skills to blacksmithing mm. so I'm a bit ridiculously educated in a <laughs> um, practical sense I've done lots of courses and things i love learning i think yeah it just it just makes you more well-rounded doesn't it in that sense of just knowing like you know you've got so much to draw on in the yeah. work that you do and isn't it interesting i was just thinking these careers advisors but you can't you can't do that because you'll be surrounded by boys what a strange know, thing to say that was in the middle of the 90s which yeah I true it was quite um uh well it was better than the 70s and better yeah than, yeah 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 I think still a bit backward then um I was thinking actually when I was looking through your um kind of question hints um I remember in in first year in year seven doing a kind of multiple choice kind of your likes and dislikes and what you're good at um as a like predict what career oh it was called something i did that as well yeah you um, like kudos it was called was it kudos good? yeah i always remember it because it everything i ever did told me i was going to be a teacher so right <laughs> i didn't bother in the end mine was spot on I can, yeah it said artist and gardener and i was like oh wow that's so cool yeah and actually that that leads quite nicely into something i wanted to ask you about which was um so in your about page, which I was saying I really liked, you, there's one sentence that says, my work, and I've paraphrased it, uh, my work tends to sit precariously on that faint wobbly line between art and craft. And I really love, I really love this idea of like um, blurry lines, liminality, that kind yeah. of fuzziness that exists in so many things. And I wanted to ask you what art means to you as a term and what craft means to you as a term and then how your work sort of yeah teeters yeah. between the two well that's a huge one and and i i've had this discussion with so many people and i've seen other people ask similar question because obviously it's it's kind of different for everyone mm. um and sometimes i don't know where i sit because some of my work is conceptual and has kind of more um depth and meaning and emotion behind it and some of it as i said earlier is just about um looking pretty <laughs> not pretty but beautiful um um and it's really hard to judge that because i don't see why like i make these bowls called barnacle bowls which mm. are inspired kind of by, by 
barnacle clusters amongst other things but um yeah i like looking at barnacles <laughs> um and they're very sculptural and as i've made them they've kind of developed and formed and got more sculptural um and almost more abstract but um i did i did a kickstarter last year just because um I was so skint and Christmas was coming and I'd made these bowls kind of at this time of year, um, end of summer, and I thought, oh, I like them and I thought other people might like them. And my brother suggested I do a Kickstarter, which I did, mm -hmm. um, which was an amazing experience, but I'm <laughs> I'm still sending out the the rewards oh, um, and it saved our Christmas. <laughs> and, but I've made a lot of these bowls over the past year and they've slowly kind of developed and changed slightly. Um, but or, so I've got lots of seconds. <laughs> so yeah. some that have like maybe got a slight crack or warp or a splodge of um, glaze that pinged off another bowl in the kiln. Um, and we just use them as our day-to-day -day, um, uh, crockery, <laughs> mm. which my mum initially was horrified about these views them as these beautiful objects but um they're fine they're robust and um they're pretty heavy <laughs> and sometimes tricky to clean but um so in my head coming back to your question craft i think on a very basic level is something that could be useful mm -hmm. but might not necessarily be used um mm -hmm. I think craft has kind of been slightly looked down upon for a long time um but there's a, such a huge range and kind of almost a spectrum of craft like there's kind of the traditional handicrafts that um have the designs and the and the methods have not been changed for hundreds of years kind of knitting mm -hmm. and weaving and um that sort of thing like i don't know maybe spoon carving but then some craftspeople have taken those traditional methods and made the most incredible contemporary mm. um pieces of art mm. so that there is more and more kind of blurry line between them and um i do get a bit annoyed when craft gets looked down upon and i but I am equally guilty of kind of looking, I used to really, uh, yeah, I suppose look down upon or think it's awful when artists such as kind of big name artists like Damon Hirst mm -hmm. would pay someone else to make their work. So they just think of the idea and then someone else would have all the skill of making. And I just thought, why would you do that? Like mm -hmm. the making is part of, for me, making gives me more ideas for new work and it's almost meditative when I make um which I'm very lucky I know I'm very lucky to be able to earn a small living not much but a, a bit of a living um from doing something that I love so much and um I kind of find um therapeutic similar to gardening um mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I 
I was at college, um, I did my degree while the YBA, the Young British Artists, kind of really hit the big time and kind of were winning the Turner Prize Awards and stuff. And I really struggled because I, I obviously understand the concepts behind it and um, some of it was vaguely <laughs> beautiful or attractive, but I do kind of feel I have more respect for people that make their own work. That's a terrible thing to say, I think. <laughs> Um, and I think beautiful things don't shouldn't be looked down upon just because they're they've got the aesthetics as well as the concept behind them. Um, I really struggled at uni because aesthetics was part of my work, and I hated justifying why I wanted to make things that looked beautiful, mm. and I really hated telling my tutors the concepts behind it I was I was quite cripplingly shy at um, that age so I, I didn't like talking about my work at all um, and I didn't feel that I should have to justify why I was making something um, so I totally haven't answered your question have I? <laughs> no you have and I, I was I was just thinking about um, the kind of because what you it feels like what you're sort of saying in terms of like <laughs> uni and you know Turner Prize and all of this sort of stuff and getting someone else to do to to bring your concept to life it feels so much about you know the standardization almost like the standardization of creativity the idea because it never made sense to me that you could uh, grade a piece of creative writing or a piece of art because I loved art at school and and but my art was really obscure graveyards featured quite heavily in everything <laughs> I did because I was just fascinated but um it it's this kind of um control of creativity and even in the sense that you know someone's making something like making art and then sending it off to a craftsperson essentially or, or another artist to then fulfill these specifications in order to create that thing mm. and actually I like I really like what you what you what you say about um, just kind of watching things emerge and using like the wild honey uh, sorry the wild wax and um, all of this kind of it, it feels a lot more fluid than what it the little boxes that a lot of um, institutions, let's say, whether that's the education system or the art, because I would imagine yeah. you could say the art world is a bit of an institution. You yes. know, it's actually more, it actually creativity is a lot freer than that. There aren't any restrictions on creative creativity yeah. and we can't fit it into that box. Like it's almost like your wild honeycomb is like a metaphor for that. Like you're deliberately allowing the bees to go outside of that you're just allowing them to build in whatever they want and that's yeah. almost like a reflection of your almost following their kind of instincts or their mm. mood at that point mm. um, and then it's like that's almost like a reflection of your own creativity <laughs> you know do you know what i mean yeah no i hadn't thought that that's great clever thank you <laughs> so, okay that's my brain is total chaotic Oh, I mean, I think most creatives could say that. <laughs> um, and I was going to ask you actually kind of on the process and this idea of it kind of 
um, just flowing along because I was looking at your beautiful barnacle bowls as well and, and all of just, um, just everything that you create really. Um, and I was wondering about your actual process and how you, whether you plan like, okay, I'm going to do some rings or I'm going to do some statement pieces or I'm going to do whatever. Do you plan it in your head first or do you just kind of allow it to just come and then go, Oh, I'm going to make this because I saw like, does it happen more organically or is it very kind of are you more structured yeah. in your approach? No, it's much more organically. Um, I haven't really sketched an idea for work for decades. Like I sketch <laughs> and draw things I find interesting and um, yeah, like things I might find or things I kind of want to pick out a detail or just sometimes if I'm stuck and have no ideas, I find that just sitting and drawing can kind of kickstart my creativity again. But the things I make, I literally will go in to my workshop and start making and that will, yeah, things just grow and form from there um i know that's uh um an way of doing it um i remember when i did my blacksmithing course um because the course was aimed at training you to become a um well a blacksmith that could actually make a living um so they often taught you that obviously making designing on paper is much quicker than designing on the anvil they called it um which yeah obviously drawing some pencil lines is going to be quicker than heating up a steel bar and hitting it with a hammer and trying things out because if it goes wrong then you've got to start again but um i just find that creative flow and i find the best things i make are just from getting my hands on the materials be it clay metal and and being able to just go with it and experiment or play um i think of it often <laughs> as playing um and i do like sometimes i kind of will wake up in the middle of the night or just as i'm going to sleep i'll get ideas and i might do a quick scribble um just to remind myself the next day um so i do yeah some things i will think through and um technical issues so if I get an idea to make something that will need more technical thought um, I will kind of almost work through making it in my head so I can kind of see where problems might come up mm -hmm. and then when I actually go to making it I will um, be prepared for those problems not always um, and obviously if things go wrong then I'll work out why um, they go wrong and again um yeah adapt things or add things or change a method so um i avoid any technical issues so yeah i'm probably not the best example of a um oh <laughs> uh, yeah well it's not a factory it's not a kind no. of um, i'm not trying to churn out loads of stuff no. so, um that economical side is slightly less of an issue I probably should think about it um, when i <laughs> when i first made my kind of first parts of my wild honeycomb jewelry i really wanted every single one to be absolutely unique and 
each one cast from a piece of honeycomb um because when i take the honeycomb i i will kind of pick out the most incredible bits and cut around them and carve them and form them and bend them um to fit kind of around a finger if mm -hmm. i make a ring for instance um and i worked out how many hours I'd spent doing each one before they'd even been cast into silver <laughs> and wow. I would have had to charge so much um to sell them to make it kind of viable so I had to kind of give up that kind of ideal and so once I've made a ring in um the honeycomb had it cast into metal I then if it's don't do it with every single one but if it's kind of a really good one or um one of my favorites i will take a, a mold of that finished piece um which i can then um kind of inject wax into the mold and make a not i um not an exact replica because when you inject the wax into the mold you get kind of something called flashing which is kind of bit sticking out and sometimes the wax cools in different rates so it might warp slightly so every piece I make is different to itself uh, to each other but um they're based on kind of the one original <laughs> piece mm -hmm. in a sense um so and that means I can sell them at a much lower price and it's kind of more um of it yeah and more accessible for mm. and, it, and it means you can keep going as well without yeah. you know you don't have to because i think it's so tempting when you're making things and selling them to like there are always these restrictions but actually if you end up um crippling yourself you can't continue doing yeah. what you love you know no well, that was that was that was the choice it was like well i can make these amazing kind of wearable sculptures that someone may buy one day for mm, exactly but maybe not um or i can kind of replicate them so i've got um the same or a similar type of ring available with different finishes so kind of i love the oxidized finish which mm. is when the silver is blackened and then the kind of highlights polished up so you get that contrast um mostly because it looks a lot like cast iron <laughs> um which i used to do a lot of cast iron work but i also finish in a kind of white and silver um mm -hmm. finish which i think looks almost like bone which kind of can put some people off but it's like <laughs> makes the surface of the silver almost matte and it's like an off-white kind of almost cream color and i just think it's incredible um mm -hmm and yeah so yeah being able to replicate the same ring and then i can play with finishes and um maybe yeah add a bit of i added a bit of gold to one of the cells for someone because they <laughs> not normally my thing but they wanted it to look like there was honey in it so oh nice <laughs> i relented yeah. um so yeah it's yeah you have to make these choices this is why i struggle with Am I an artist? Am I a craft? Yeah. I don't know. So make is a good one because you can <laughs> do either or both. Yeah. And I think there is just whether it's 
the same in inverted commas as another one the fact that it's been handmade and handcrafted that's yeah. the thing that set, sets sets it apart is that it, like you said it's not like mass produced it's not done in a factory with a machine it's your hands you know using the materials in the way that you um that only really you can because every artist is different every craftsperson is different yeah. and so even if you had the same piece of wax what the energy that would go into it would be different and that would make the piece different i feel yes absolutely and and my mood on a particular day because even mm. when i take like um a, a cast piece of wax from the mold i will then again cut carve that piece of wax uh add wax um till it looks right to me on that day mm. <laughs> and then once it's cast i will then again settle it and file it um till it looks right again on that day so every piece is totally different because there'll be I like to leave a few kind of marks from the making process on my wings so they're not kind of finished to a high shine polish they're not like perfect smooth um pieces I like I like showing the the kind of making process mm. evidence on yeah. my work because mm. rings there is I wear all my rings and jewelry um, I take the rings off for, when I'm working with clay just because it marks it but my bangles and my rings I leave on when I'm forging um, when I'm gardening like it's made to be worn so yeah. it, it will get bumps and scratches through life anyway which I think just adds to it yeah. anyway so um, yeah I'm not one for shininess I don't use <laughs> cut stones and all of that and that's I don't call myself a jeweller because a, I don't only make jewelry. Jewelry. Yeah. B, I'm not. I, I have done kind of very occasional engagement or wedding rings that have involved cut stones, but it's not a, a usual part of my work. Mm. I like raw stones and like pebbles. Oh yeah. Beach and yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. Oh, we, I, I could send you so many. My kids come home every time we go to the beach, they come home with an armful of pebbles. And I'm like, we're really not. So we're going to have to take these yeah. back next time. We're not supposed to take things off the beach. But yeah, it's all part of the fun, really. I, mean, I just kind of yeah. sneak them back every now and again. Um, so tell me about, is there a space in which you feel that you're most creative? Um... It's tricky because I'm very lucky I've um, got space at home that I can work. Um, although my workshop is <laughs> um, a bit of a mishmash at the moment because I've got a forge in there for forging steel and iron kind of blacksmithing and a, a jewellery bench. And then um, I kind of got a small table for doing wax which I used to do all my wax and on all my ceramics kind of on the kitchen table um but when kind of things kicked up a bit with the kickstarter with the barnacle bowls I needed more space um and everyone got fed up of bits of wax balls <laughs> <laughs> kind of in the way of of having a meal around the kitchen table and things so we um kind of chucked up a 
greenhouse joke utility room kind of basically around the side of our house was it's walled in on two and a half <laughs> sides so we just put in kind of a polycarbonate roof and kind of um a wall and window on one side and then the door in um, the app and so that I've been using as a kind of um, wax and ceramics area but also a greenhouse so <laughs> it's actually lovely as I've spent the summer with kind of citrus trees and tomato plants wow. and lilies and kind of my son's cactus collection and um, yeah seedling trays kind of I all my grand plans go to pot I have kind of I make nice spaces for certain things and it gets used for every possible <laughs> thing so um yeah things are always being shifted around so that has been a lovely space and I love like my son accused me the other week of always being in there because it's just it's on the northwest side um which means it's not too hot and it's got a lovely light and yeah it's bright and full of plants and I'm very happy amongst plants and um, I often say to my husband if I could live in a greenhouse I'd be very happy. <laughs> um, and leading on from that tell me about your connection with nature. Um, it's weird like I grew up in Bristol um, till I was about 11, 12, we lived in Bristol. So I grew up in quite a big city, mm. but we used to go to um, a park woods called Snuff Mills. And me and my best friend would run around, it feels like to me now, totally on our own, free with the fairies. Um, and there was like a witch's rock where the witch fairy lived and a hollow tree where the queen fairy lived. And, um, you know, when you're that young we were totally immersed in this world um and it felt like we were there for the whole of the day totally on our own no parents i think <laughs> um, so that kind of woodland um yeah idyllic space i love um but looking at the kind of small areas so kind of peering into cracks in rocks where there's moss or lichen and little clusters of I almost see like little worlds that you could uh, I kind of almost want to shrink down and live in mm. kind of <laughs> these little worlds um and yeah that imagination of um like we totally believed in fairies at that age mm. and we read fairy me and my we both had um grew up with single mums till a certain age so we were like siblings because our mums kind of shared care with us so we were together a lot and um obsessed with fairies and fairy tales and so that all of that is quite incredible how things influence you through your life even from that young an age um so i still do love fairy tales and the kind of the real original quite disturbing fairy tales um, <laughs> I find it incredible but that kind of woodland um I don't know it just gives me a nice feeling of comfort because the woodland can, can not, not always but can provide you with a lot of food and fuel obviously um 
and I do feel connected. I'm very lucky. I live very close to quite a large wood. Um, I'm terrible and I don't visit it as often as I want to and I should. <laughs> um, but it's there. I'm kind of happy knowing it's there. Um, so, and our garden, I got very much into permaculture and um, forest gardening. So our garden, it's not huge, um, but it's big for a, a kind of small house garden. And um, I've crammed as much as I can in it. So it's full of nuts and fruit trees and what I call salad trees, which are kind of trees that produce leaves you can eat. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a wild garden. It's kind of left to its own devices, but everything planted in it is mostly edible or useful. So there's kind of a few medicinal plants and, and kind of dye plants like woad. I just like growing things, even if I never use them. Mm. I like knowing it's there if I, if I need it or I could use it. Um, so, yeah, it's like, because I know like some people love animals and wildlife, which I do, but it's the plants, um, the lichens and the trees and plants that really get me. Mm. Um, I find incredible. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I feel very lucky to live in Britain where things grow <laughs> so well um, and I, I appreciate kind of the rain um, even when it's incessant I kind of know that it's needed and it means we have like an incredible green um, yeah countryside and place to live. Um, insects I find fascinating as well. Um, and particularly their wings and their kind of exoskeletons. I just, yeah, find all of that close up um, really inspiring. But I end up getting so many ideas in my head. I can't stick <laughs> <laughs> to one. I, yeah, I need more, just need more, more hands and more time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. More hands and more time, definitely. <laughs> um, so I've got two more questions, if yeah. that's okay. So the first one is, what have you learnt on your journey that you would like to pass on to others? Um, that if you love something enough and keep doing it just for yourself, like for no one else's satisfaction or, or need, um, then eventually you will if you want to take up the opportunity. I do feel that if you really keep going at something, you will at some point get an opportunity to um, do something more with it, whether it's work with that in that area or, um, I don't know, even sharing your passion with others. Um, I just, yeah, I think it's worth just keeping going with with passion even if you get nothing but the fact you're working at it mm. <laughs> um yeah if you get no monetary <laughs> gain from it at all it's still worth it i think it keeps me sane mm. and um yeah and and don't stop learning like just keep exploring and playing and and learning about things that interest you and try things out um i'm terrible for 
um, if I hear about how to do something or someone has done something incredible, I just want to know how it's done and have a go myself and, and just having the knowledge of, not, even if I never do it again, I like knowing that I could mm -hmm. um, do something, whether it's making cheese or <laughs> making jewellery. I just, mm -hmm. yeah, I love having, I suppose it's, yeah, skills. Mm. Um, it's like self-sufficiency isn't it yeah, mm. yeah definitely mm. I, I think I'm I didn't know at the time but I think I must have been quite an odd teenager because I <laughs> I was really into gardening and like my favorite place was my mum's greenhouse I just oh. air and yeah I used to read um oh what's his name the self-sufficiency so we can do this see John Seymour Stuff. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. book. I used to read that um, all the time and try out. I remember trying to make soap from his book when I was about 17. <laughs> My poor mum, I used all her olive oil and like filtered ashes through straw um, and ended up with this rancid liquid <laughs> that never turned into soap. Um, and then years later, I found out how actually make soap and realize that Don Seymour it was it's a brilliant inspiring book but it the details are missing <laughs> um of actually how to do things properly it's, it's more of a yeah I suppose an inspiration rather than a, yeah <laughs> and it's all about trial and error isn't it like you try things it doesn't work and you either go oh well and don't do it again or you go oh I want to find out why that doesn't work and yeah do it again so it does um so um my last question is what's your hope for the future um I, I was looking at this last night and thinking do you mean for the world well and it could be whatever you take that question to mean is just go with it yeah well it's because i often have hopes i'm a bit overly optimistic and i'm oh same <laughs> it's terrible kind of election day I'm convinced that um mm. certain people will be voted out and certain people will be voted in and mm. then I keep getting disappointed and, and not actually believing that it can happen again um but that's I think that's because I'm in a bubble of similarly minded people so yeah that's what I see on um social media um but yeah, I just hope we get through this kind of rise of racism and far right um, becoming more mainstream and not acceptable, but um, with kind of the British government and the American president, it's just horrifying. So I really hope that somehow ends quickly <laughs> and we can move on. And this year with with COVID and everything that's been going on, it's been a bit odd. Um, I've been slightly envious of people that have, um, it has been nice because so many people have slowed down and, mm. and kind of discovered what really matters to them or a, a kind of new skill or new um, interests. I My life just got more crazy mm -hmm. at home and I normally work at home um they're trying to homeschool kids of different ages and keep a business going 
and some sort of income was really tough. Um, so that's why I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> trying to do too many things and I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist so I think my hope is, is for things to calm down in our own lives a bit and for me and my family to get to a point where it's calm and um at a kind of level but I, I know how lucky I am and I just hope that I can keep on making and selling enough <laughs> to, to um contribute to a household yeah i just hope um all the um movement behind the climate change marches and stuff is so hopeful for the future and inspiring and we it felt like we were finally getting mm. somewhere with xr and um and the climate um the youth protests and then covid just put a stop to all that and kind of all the disposal gloves and masks. Oh, I know. And I it's much harder, yeah, it's harder to recycle. Yeah. Any, even though like I've always been a kind of, um, what did I get called? <laughs> a Nazi recycler years ago <laughs> when I was at uni. I was like, what? Um, just cause I hate waste and I think it's yeah. really to recycle. Um, and yeah now it's really hard to do it because a lot of the places that take took certain things weren't open um, mm. and it's harder to yeah get things to places where they can be recycled mm. so i just hope that things like that kind of get back to where they were before covid and that kind of yeah we can move fast enough mm. to prevent the kind of environmental and, and climate change issues that we're facing mm. um and yeah and the and the, all these far-right governments um kind of disappeared somehow of course you are it's fine i was just thinking as you were saying about the recycling it's also i feel like there's a lot about like just make do and mend and i feel like what you do is very much drawing on that idea of just make use of what you have around you you know yes, like you, you have all this stuff growing in your garden <laughs> you might not necessarily be using it but it's there if you do need it and yeah and yeah i think so many it's so easy to get caught up in the recycling thing but actually it's like let's aim to put less in our bins and less in our recycling bins because we don't have as much to throw away or to recycle because we're yeah. You know, it's that reduce, reuse thing. Um, so just before we finish, can you tell people how they can find your beautiful, gorgeous pieces, how they can find out more about you, social media and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, I have got a website which badly needs updating, but it's, it, it's there and it's got pictures, <laughs> um, which is www.beccabb.com. Um, my name, Becca, is B-E-C-A, so one C, and then B-E-E-B-Y dot com. Can I just say also, I love the fact that your surname has the word B in it. That, it, I obviously married my husband um, quite a long time ago, 12 years, I think. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, my 
surname was Clark before then. It was very boring. So I always teased him that the only reason I married him was for <laughs> it's an interesting surname. <laughs> and then, yeah, people say, sometimes I think I should have kept my real name because it's a bit gimmicky because not at all bees and my yeah. surname's Forrester and I teach people <laughs> how to write in the forest like you know <laughs> yeah it works out like that like sometimes yeah it's funny so it is quite a cool name really yeah but, um sometimes I think people think I've made it to suit my work um but yeah I'm on Instagram and Facebook so my Instagram is at Becca BB Facebook at Becca BB again I have got Twitter, but I don't use it. <laughs> um, and I have plans for other outlets, but I haven't got the energy <laughs> these days. I know it's hard. New, out, yeah, things. So Instagram's probably my main one now, just because it seems better for makers. Um, mm. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to chat and yeah share all your wisdom and insights it's been really lovely chatting to you so yeah thank yeah, you no thanks it's really nice to be asked um yeah i'm very honored <laughs> gorgeous wasn't she in the meditation and writing prompt that follows this episode we'll be drawing on the idea of art and creativity as play happy writing and i'll speak to you soon Thank you.